Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Second Sunday Books. I'm Libby Hellman, and I'm coming to you from the Windy City. And I need to tell you right up front that Second Sunday Books is a trademarked, copyrighted podcast owned solely by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Good. Now that we've gotten that housekeeping out of the way, I wanted to let you know that I have a very special guest tonight. Elizabeth Zeldin. She's a writer out of New York. She's written several mysteries and um, has had a lot of success. But tonight we're going to be talking about a brand new anthology that she edited and also contributed to. It's a Me Too anthology. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Tell me, first of all, what made you decide to do a Me Too anthology, particularly now? Well, the point is that it's not just a Me Too anthology. It's an anthology of Me Too short stories. And that, in fact, is how, well, we ended up with a very simple title, besides the fact that my original title didn't fit on the cover. Uh, Many Me Too books about the experience have been written, but fiction, crime fiction in particular, has shied away. And when I started looking for stories, I found that the ones that appealed to me were the ones that were genuine short stories with complexity, with voice, with suspense, with uh, a narrative that were more than even fictionalized accounts of testimony, what happened, how to a woman, how she dealt with it, how she got beyond it. These are really stories. And the other thing that happened that I'm a therapist with my other hat, so this didn't surprise me, but I didn't expect it, and perhaps I should have, is that many of the stories came from children, either in the backstory or at the center of the story. And crime fiction has been very, very remiss in dealing with child abuse. In fact, the darkest, the most gory, the most horror-filled and graphic easings and noir anthologies, they love their serial killers, they love their torture. But if you try to submit... They will say, no child abuse. We don't consider submissions on child abuse. There are even agents that won't look at submissions that include child abuse. And it never occurs to them. If you shy away from it, you're sweeping it under the rug. It is a huge, huge problem. And it is the genesis of both women victims and adult predators. It all starts with child abuse. 
And if you shy away from it, people believe that it doesn't happen or that it isn't common, which it certainly is. And what you have to do is reframe it. You have to give women and girls a voice. You have to put them in charge of their own narrative. And that's what this anthology tries to do. And in fact, I'm sure you'll ask me how I came up with the idea. I can tell you exactly. I was lying on my back in my living room doing my stretches, thinking about my story in the anthology, Never Again, which I'd already written. Well, I'd written the first draft. It got better afterwards as I thought more about this idea of constructing a story. But I realized there was no place I could send it. Nobody mm-hmm. would publish it. Because okay. it was about the abuse of children. And it was a story about very strong, powerful children to whom horrible things had happened and were happening. And it certainly was about their own voice and in their end, their own triumph. So I, I thought, you know what, I have to write, I have to put a book together myself because nobody's going to take this story. It's a wonderful story. So that was actually the genesis of the book. So how did you get the stories that um, ended up in the anthology? How did you find them? How did you commission them? Or did you go after author friends whom you admired and respected? Or how did that happen? Well, that's an interesting story, too, because I'm not a big cheese in the mystery world. Uh, I've had an equal measure of success and failure, although I've done better with short stories than with my novels. And Uh I thought in order to interest a publisher, and originally I would have loved to have a big publisher, I asked about two dozen well-known women crime fiction authors. All of them thought it was a wonderful idea. Only a few of them were able or willing or have the time or wouldn't get killed by their agents to say they would do it. In the end, none of them came through. Oh, wow. So so what I did, I mean, I was never going to have enough. I had a few and in the end, ended up with none. And if I wouldn't try that again, I really wouldn't. I put out a call for submissions, and I spread it around everywhere I knew um, to my own networks, to uh, the Short Mystery Fiction Society, to Sisters in Crime, to Mystery Miters of America. And I looked at the submissions, and as I said, the ones that were really stories, the only thing I said The only prompt I gave was crimes against women, tales of retribution and healing. Uh And I thought afterwards, you know, if my other hat had been a lawyer instead of a therapist, instead of healing, I probably would have said justice. But I did. And I, I think that, you know, what I... What I ended up with was an incredible variety of of, of stories, of um, settings, of of authors. In fact, a very very interesting mix of authors. Yeah. Now, how, now, did you personally edit all each of the stories? I did. I did, and that was an adventure too, because I was determined that the experience of 
participating in the anthology because I had decided to use only women authors, that it would be much more than me making little comments and them fixing the commas and, you know, cutting out the dead wood. And um, so I tried to build a women's community as I edited the anthology, and I think it worked. Uh, I started... uh, an e-list, of course, Yahoo is now disappearing, but we had a Yahoo group, so that as I went along, there were things that I discussed with all of them, and I got them talking to each other, and there was also a huge amount of discourse as we went back and forth with track changes as I edited the manuscripts. So So that by the time, and this really is always my goal when I edit. By the time I met some of them face to face, because some of them came from across the country for the launch party, they, um, you know, when you have somebody you have a real online relationship with, when you finally meet them face to face, if you're a woman, you fall into each other's arms. (laughs) That is really what happened. They also were, some, some of them very willing to be part of the promotion, which was nice too, because I did end up with a small publisher, Level Best, which publishes the New England anthologies. So, Uh um, you know, we really had to do everything we could for promotion ourselves. And I was just thrilled that the women were behind me the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you're aware, but I edited an anthology maybe about 10 years ago, Chicago Blues. Yes. And and it went very, very well. But um, the major challenge I had, everyone was happy to... to, uh, submit a story was was editing and um i edited every story and in some cases i asked the authors to significantly change it because i thought it fell flat or because it needed another twist at the end um you know or something like that did did that happen to you were did you get to that depth of level absolutely and i think uh, did you have a lot of male authors in your anthology Yes, I had more male authors than female. But you know what was interesting? It was the female authors that gave me the hardest time. Really? Now, that interests me and surprises me. But I ended up, I would say, I don't know about without exception, because there's always one or two who who are you know, a little more protective of their work. But based on what happened as we were doing it, I would say I didn't feel as if I had any trouble, and I think most of them would say and have said in various contexts that they think I'm a brilliant editor and that they really appreciate what I did, that I made this story stronger. And some of them were established authors or short story authors. Some of them were relative uh, newcomers. But I think it's because I didn't think of it as editing their stories. I really presented it and framed it as building a relationship with them. And my my other hat is not only a therapist. I'm an online therapist. So... For half of my career, the past 17 years, I've been, you know, communicating with people online and expressing emotion and building relationships. So it was in a context. It was in a context 
of the whole person and not just I'm changing his story. So I'm really I, careful about that. And it works. I, I need to, to sideline for a second. What does an online therapist do? The same thing as a therapist in an office, except in a chat room or an email or lately with one um, client who's severely disabled in text on the phone. Uh, and uh, I conduct therapy and I've been doing it for a very long time. And I do it, you know, through the written word. And it's and I can do it with people who are all over the world, people who can't move, people who wouldn't walk into a therapist's office, people who don't want to be seen for some reason. And it can be very powerful. And I can do it the same way I can write at my computer in my jammies if I want to. Yeah, yeah, that's well. I had I had no idea you were doing it online. I knew you were a therapist, but I didn't know that it was all online. That's really well. I did. I did it. Um, I I did. I had a conventional practice, and I also worked um, uh, as as an alcoholism and addiction uh, clinician and directed programs in New York for about fifteen years. So mm-hmm. uh, this is this is my. This is my other <laughs> most recent career, and uh, it, it, it works very well, and it, it, uh, it, it's been very exciting for me. And I would say, financially, it's worked about as well as my fiction writing career, so it's a good thing I have two of them. Yeah, it is a good thing. We all, we all need a little help here and there with our fictional careers uh, because they're not what we would perhaps dreamed of when we started. But anyway, yeah. um, so now what goes, anything going to happen as a result of this anthology? Um, are going to do another one or a different subject or... Um, <laughs> At the moment, I'm swearing never to do another book. Okay, I got it. <laughs> no, I, got I, don't, it. I don't know what next. I mean, I really, um, I really love both writing and editing short stories. And it's funny because I learned to edit as a child at my mother's knee. She was uh, a lawyer. And she got out of law school in 1924 when um, it was very hard for women to get jobs as lawyers and she ended up as a legal writer and editor and um, my first career was as an editor in New York not an acquisitions editor not a not a trade books editor was very unglamorous and very boring and I hated editing I'm brilliant at it but I hated it with a passion and then when I started writing fiction and started editing myself and then later this is my second anthology i i did uh, an anthology for sisters in crime new york and i discovered i love editing fiction it's an entirely different skill set and i had to learn it first to edit myself and then to do these anthologies and it gives me great pleasure if i could make a living doing that i would love to do more of that but the writing too has gotten better as i have learned more about pace and what to take out what to put in and um you know what i'll keep on writing stories 
So my, my issue with editing was my impatience. I loved editing short stories because they were short. And, um, you know, after 20 pages, it was over. But the idea of editing an entire novel that someone else wrote, I don't think I could do it. Because I think I would, you know, invest everything in the first 25 pages, and then I'd expect that writer, wait a second, I already commented that on that on page 13. Why are you doing it again on page 62? You know? So. Well, I've, I've, figured out, I've figured out what makes it okay for me. If they're well, paying me enough, I don't mind. <laughs> in fact... <laughs> In fact, I got a I got a query. Someone ref, someone referred them to me a week or two ago, and she she actually wanted to know my fees for um, a developmental edit, a uh, 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 critique and and beta reading, a query, a synopsis, and what I wrote back, and I, I sort of I you know, picked not the brains, but the websites of three or four professional crime fiction editors who I know, mm-hmm. just to get some ideas. I, I said, but this is my own gut feeling. I said, um, you know, the thing that I see the most is people sending out to agents and editors before the manuscript is ready. So what I will tell you is how much I would charge you for 25 pages to give you at least a thousand words of feedback. And I knew it would be more because I always say more. And this is what I charge you for that. And I would want to do that anyway. I said, if you haven't sent out the manuscript or a manuscript before, I'd strongly recommend it. And even if you had, I would want to do at least that much before I committed to a whole manuscript. And you know what? I never heard from her again. Ah, interesting. (laughs) And when I looked at her email again, I could see clues that she probably was not a native English speaker. And then Ah, I thought, well, if she can make errors in the language of an email, right? I would bet big money her manuscript was not ready to send out, right. and I wouldn't want to work on it. It would probably be very difficult. Yep. No, I, get it. I wouldn't want to. I want to, work, I want to work on a manuscript that has a chance of being publishable, if it's right. going to be that big a job. So let's get back to the anthology for a minute. Were any of the stories, did any of them surprise you? And oh, they all <laughs> they all surprised me. The the one where the banshee was the heroine, I would say, was the most surprising. Yeah, I did start. I that. love that idea. Yeah, yeah. And I I didn't expect the other near future one, where the neurobiologist is making slides of videos of dead people's memories. I mean, oh, you expect that, that you see Me Too short stories? Would you expect mm-hmm. that? Not at all. Yes, that but, was inspiring. That was a, and, and I and I told you I love the one where the older sister, the younger sister, to flee, and um, 
then something well, happens. Well, don't give away the ending, but the villain, well, the thing that was, that the big uh, surprise in that one is the villain is is the woman. And I'll tell you an interesting story about that. She originally made the mother part of her terrifying power and uh, was the, in the in the original description the mother was fat she had these rolls of flesh and she came to these terrified daughters you know she was big and unstoppable and i had an agenda there and i said to this one and to a couple of others i said um you know i would really rather not in this book make fat uh, a marker for uh-huh. ugliness, villainousness, um, right. you know, throw away. And then, of course, in my own story, I talked about it the way I think it needs to be talked about. And um, so I said, can you find another way to describe her? And interestingly, she said, you know, this woman, this woman was abused herself as a child. I said, really? I didn't know that. You haven't put it on the page. So put that on the page. And that was yeah. one of the big changes she made. She said, of course, I'm trying to write about intergenerational domestic violence. I said, great. Make her thin and put that in. And she did. And, in, and then, because we were talking... We started a whole conversation via email. I mean, we went out of the margins of the story. We started email. I discovered she was a, a cop. She was She's a retired police sergeant with over 30 years experience. Uh, uh-huh. She had done a huge amount of work with abused women and with domestic violence. And in fact, one of the things that that Lynn Hess, who's the author in question, is doing. She lives in Atlanta. Um, she she has organized, uh, along with the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence, an evening, a charity benefit, where she is going to um, sell copies of Me Too short stories and um you know and it's going to be a multi she's going to read from the book uh there are going to be some speakers on domestic violence and a couple of women who are survivors are going to do performance pieces there's going to be some dance i think and poems and the whole evening is going to be a benefit for uh this coalition against domestic violence you know so that it is a promotion for our book but it's so much more and this is the kind of thing that you know some of the authors are doing but I wouldn't have even known she was a cop if she we hadn't had that conversation because I asked her to make a change to the book. So that's the kind of experience, exciting right. experience that I've been having as an editor. Right. This book. Yeah, she was a good writer, too. So um, that, that, that was impressive. So tell me what you are doing personally these days besides having finished the anthology. I loved your Mendoza story. As you know, well, I have the I, I, I love the Mendoza stories too. I am still writing stories. I you know I have two novels in that series. Uh, the one about the uh, second voyage, when think, Voyage of Strangers. Well, for, for our listeners, 
Francisco, let's introduce yes. them as historical Sephardic Jews who are uh, 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 sail, ship, ship owners. Right. Well, let's, I'll start at the beginning. The original story came to me <laughs> in a dream, and I'm Jewish, but I never thought I'd write about Jewish themes. But this young man, Diego, came knocking on the inside of my head in the middle of the night one night saying, let me out, let me out, tell my story. And I didn't want to do it, but he didn't leave me alone. So I wrote this story where he he ships as a sailor on the Santa Maria because Columbus sailed on the first voyage the same day the Jews were kicked out of Spain. Right. And it was published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. And I got hooked on research, which I had always avoided like the plague my whole life. I wanted to tell more, so I wrote another story, and then I wrote this novel, Voyage of Strangers, about the second voyage, which is not only about the aftermath of the expulsion of the Jews, but also about the genocide of the Taino by the Spaniards, which is a terrible, terrible, but very moving and interesting story. And Diego was joined by his sister, Rachel, who started as a secondary character, but then I fell in love with her, and she she has become another protagonist in this series. And then I started doing more research and finding out what happened to the Jews, and I ended up writing a second novel, Journey of Strangers, where they come back to Europe, which is war-torn, and they travel across it, and they end up in Istanbul, in the Ottoman Empire, where the sultan welcomed the Jews who were kicked out of Spain and Portugal. And, um, and now I have been writing stories about Rachel 20 years later, who has a job in the harem, not that job, but as a, a, a purveyor of uh, goods and services to the ladies of the harem, who, of course, don't go out. She's kind of a personal shopper. And um, she solves mysteries in the reign of Suleiman the Magnificent. So she is now in middle age. She has a family. And I'm going to write about Rachel till the cows come home because I love her. And I also write stories about some of her descendants in, in uh, modern times. So, you know, that, that story is going on. And uh, Bruce... My recovering alcoholic in New York. His story is still going on in short stories. Okay. And on standalones, I have I have a story out in the brand new issue, the November December issue of Ellery Queen. Um, I have uh, in November. I'm going to have a a podcast on the Alfred Hitchcock website reading a story that was in Alfred Hitchcock earlier in the year. So I'm um, you know, I'm really keeping up my short story careers and, and sending yeah. out getting rejections, getting acceptances, you know, no, rolling I, with it. I started with short stories myself and moved into writing novels after I'd had a little with short stories. So I'd been writing novels, but I hadn't had success with them until I learned how to write fiction better. So anyway, um, 
Wait, anything else you want us to know about the anthology or about your career? If anybody is interested in online therapy, go to your, your website, right? Which is? The author website is elizabethzelvin.com. And the therapy website is lzcybershrink.com. I love it. That's great. uh, I'm still active in both careers. Me Too short stories. I think it's something special. There is no one else doing this. And I would say, please buy the book. (laughs) It's out there in paperback and e-book. And uh, I think it's an extraordinary book and well worth reading. And I also am carrying a torch for women and girls who are survivors. And we need to listen to them. We need to tell their stories. And we need to tell their stories in well-crafted fiction, not just as testimony. You're absolutely right. You do know, know who Kelly Stanley is, right? She founded Nasty Women Press. Uh Uh-huh. right after the election and she's got a massive anthology collection coming out probably around Christmas with a lot of me too stories, but a lot of uh, uh, essays and, and other things too. You are not the only one, but uh, you know, Kelly and I'm sure Kelly knows you. So maybe there's a way for you two to get together. In fact, I will let her know that I've just talked to you about, about Me Too stories because they really were super and I do recommend them highly. If you're still listening, get a hold of them. Well, not just the audience. And it's published by Level Best Books. And Liz, thank you for spending some time on Second Sunday Books. And for our listeners out there, I will be back again next month. And until then, enjoy your second Sunday, or it might be your third Sunday, or it might be every Sunday in some of the best books you can find. Good night. 